0: Daniel chapter 4 tells us the story of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was probably at that time the greatest ruler on the face of the earth and very powerful and very prideful. And he, here in this chapter 4, is boasting about his greatness. And God uh, humbles him mightily and puts a madness upon him where he runs around like a wild animal, his hair grows long, his fingernails grow long, and and he eats grass like an ox, it says. And then, all of a sudden, after a period of time of his humiliation, he is restored, and this is his response to what has happened to him. Hear now God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven... And my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and He does according to His will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? Last summer, right before we went on uh, vacation, I checked my bank account and noticed to my extreme dismay that my cell phone provider had charged my bank account $1,000. My heart sank down to my knees and, and I immediately called the company because this was definitely unexpected. Uh, we had just changed our cell phone plan to get something that was a little more economical. But it seems after talking to them that what they forgot to do was put unlimited, unlimited texting on our account. And, of course, we have a couple of teenagers home for the summer, and they're, they're texting away at five cents a minute, uh, five cents a text. So uh, needless to say, we ran up quite a bill. So I explained what, what happened, and they figured it out. And so the company kindly agreed to rectify the situation, thankfully. And as I understood it, what they were agreeing to do was to put the money back into my checking account. Well, we went off to vacation. And, uh, you know, that was... uh, we, we, We made it off pretty well and got to North Carolina. And then went to the grocery store and noticed that our card was declined. And, well went immediately to the computer to check the account, and I noticed that the money had not been put back into my bank account. And we can't afford a $1,000 hit to our budget. We like to eat and do important things like that. So uh, I get online. I access access the account. Uh, I see it's the cell phone that's the problem. So I call the company, and they explain that they have not credited my bank account. They have credited my cell phone account. So... The good news was that I didn't need to pay my cell phone bill for the next five months or so. The bad news was we were going to get really hungry between now and then. So I tried to explain to them that this was just not going to work. And so after a lot of talking and and arguing back and forth, they finally agreed to put the money back to my account, but it took three days to do so. Uh, So it was very frustrating, and you know it felt like my vacation was being ruined by forces that were outside of my control. And I'm sure that there have been situations in your life where you have felt that way before. Now, hopefully, my father will be here this evening. And, uh, my father, uh, is now suffering from brain cancer. Uh, he's a very, was a very strong man, hardworking man, very independent, and, and, you know, had, has whole health. And if there was ever anyone who did not seem out of control, it was him. He seemed to have it all under control and planned out. And then this happened to him, and now his life is radically different than it was before. Now, maybe nothing bad is like that has happened to you, but none of us, we've all experienced that sense of out-of-control lives, none of us likes that experience We tend to lose it even when little things go wrong. You get a flat tire or car trouble or there's too much traffic or you get a nasty cold. These life inconveniences that throw things off. We like our lives to be orderly and predictable. We want all of our plans to unfold in a predictable manner with no obstructions. And we find it very difficult to be under the control of someone else. And we certainly would never plan to have difficulties in our lives. Nobody ever says, I, you know, my life plan involves a lot of difficulties and hardships. Or we would never plan that. But that happens in our lives. Now we're talking about God's story. God's story of this world. What is he doing? What is his plan? And he does have a plan and a story. There is a script to life, to this world. And when you are a believer, what what you're called to do is exactly what we don't like to do. We are called to surrender control to someone else, namely, to live for and rely on the Lord. Now, whether we admit it or not, whether we like it or not, God is in control. He has a plan for this world, and His plan will most certainly come to fruition. Without one shred of doubt, God's purposes for this world will be achieved. He's got a plan. He's got a plan, a wonderful plan of redemption. He's going to renew and restore what is broken by sin, including human beings and the entire creation. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and everything is going to be like He planned it in the beginning when He created the world. And no power in the universe can stop God from doing His will. The Bible tells us about this plan that He has in Revelation 21. We get a glimpse into the future of what God's doing. And John sees this vision of a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice From the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain any more, For the former things has passed away. Behold, I'm making all things new, he says. And he said, Write it down. For these words are trustworthy and true. God has a plan of redemption, a plan for renewal. And he's working that plan even now. This is what is going to happen. God has a story. He is in control. And he's written the script. And it will play out line by line and word for word. It's kind of like that game mousetrap. You know, we, we often wonder, now what in the world is going on in life? And, and how can you say that God has a plan when things seem so out of control? But when I was a kid, I had this game mousetrap. Some of you may have had it as well. And uh, it was a game, I don't think I ever actually played the game. I just set it all up because it was a contraption that had a, an old boot, a, a, a ball, and a chute, and a, a, like, a, like a gutter, and, and, uh, and all kinds of crazy things. And, you know, you, you hit one thing, and it was a chain reaction until finally the, the mouse was trapped under the net at the end of the, all this rigmarole that happened in the game. Now, we look at a life... And we say, how are these events, how are these things that are happening in our world, how is that part of God's plan? But it's just like that game mousetrap. We see all these unrelated events, but it is all working as part of God's story. He's got this story. And the wonderful thing is, that we talked about earlier, is that He has invited us to be a part of that story. He has invited us into His story. You know, last week I was telling you how... uh, your life story and my life story were, were, not so long ago, on completely different tracks. But now our stories are intersecting, and we have a relationship. We have fellowship with one another. And, uh, and our, our stories are becoming intertwined. Well, that's what God is invite, inviting us to, to become part of His story. For your story and His story to intersect, and you need to jump on board with His story and what He's doing in the world and have that kind of perspective in life. And this is exactly what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He, he thought he was in control. You know, and, and if anybody ever had the illusion of, of control, it was Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, this, uh, this book of Daniel refers to him as a king of kings, the most powerful man on the planet. And so he's out surveying his, the greatness of his kingdom. Uh, he had a couple of the seven wonders of the world, uh, were the things that he had built, the hanging gardens of Babylon. So quite a powerful man. He thought he was in control and God humbled him. But when he comes to his senses, when he looks to heaven and he affirms God, look at what he affirms about God. He says in verse 34, the second part of verse 34, he says, God's dominion is an everlasting dominion. So the area over which God rules is everlasting. His domain so God's domain is everlasting. He goes on to say His kingdom endures from generation to generation. You know, kingdoms rise and fall. You know, powers come and go. But God's power, God's kingdom will never come to an end. It endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. I think he means in relation to God. Human beings are, are nothing compared to God. He does according to His will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. So in heaven, on earth, amongst the angels, amongst people, God does whatever He wants. He does His will. And no one can stay His hand. No one can stop Him. And no one can say to Him, what have you done? An incredible statement that this, that this great king makes. An awesome statement of God's sovereignty and an affirmation of His control. Now how is it that God is in control of everything when seemingly things are out of control in our lives and in this world. Now, I know it looks like sometimes he's not in control at all. It looks like his plans are not coming to fruition. Sometimes it looks like the exact opposite of what God would want is happening. But God works providentially. And that word providence is a, is a theological word that we use. And it comes from the Latin that means to see ahead. It means knowledge of the future and foresight and it refers to the fact that god knows everything past present and future and in fact he has planned it all the catechism tells us god has an eternal purpose according to the counsel of his will whereby for his own glory he has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass foreordained everything that comes to pass it's hard to understand how that works but he goes on the catechism goes on to tell us that god is at work Preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions in a way that is most holy wise and powerful all the so all the events of life are interconnected ultimately fulfilling God's purpose now there's a there's a great commercial that's been out this past year that illustrates this truth maybe you've seen these direct TV commercials I'll read one of them to you it says uh, When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you go blow off steam. When you go blow off steam, accidents happen. You see a guy playing racquetball and it hits him in the eye. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch get rid of cable, and upgrade to direct TV. So seemingly unconnected events all heading towards an ultimate purpose. It's all woven together in ways that we can't even fathom. And, it, and everything that happens in life is all serving God's purpose Now, none of us are as powerful as Nebuchadnezzar was. But still, we spend a lot of our time and energy and resources to give ourselves a sense that we are in control of our lives, that our lives are secure and under control. We can give ourselves an illusion of control and security, but it usually is only temporary. Let me reason with you a little. Why is it a good idea to submit to God's control and live for His story instead of our own story. A couple of reasons. Number one, we don't, have to, we don't have the power to be in control. We don't have the power to be in control. Nebuchadnezzar was powerful, but he didn't have the power to be in control. We like to think we're in control, but it's obvious that we're not when we think about it. Think about all the things in your life, all the factors that have shaped who you are that you had absolutely no control over whatsoever. I mean, think about you the fact that you were born in America. I mean, you could have been born in China or the Middle East. Uh, what would your life be like if you had been born there? You didn't have any say-so in who your parents were, and they were certainly a shaping influence In your life. Uh, You probably didn't choose your schools. Maybe the elementary school you didn't choose. Maybe you chose your high school. Probably not. Uh, But these put you in a group of friends that were your age and you spent time with them. and, And they were shaping influences in your life. You had no control over that. Things happen in your life that you had no control over. Think about the weather. You can't control the weather Nobody knows it better than people here on the Gulf Coast. I mean, when Hurricane Katrina came along, that completely changed everybody's life. And we had absolutely no control or say-so about that. 9-11 was another event that was well beyond our control, but even today, every one of us are affected by what happened on that day. There's so much in your life, that you are powerless to control. When you think about it, it's only a, a rather small sliver of your life that you can actually have any kind of control over. So that's the first thing. We don't have the power to be in control. Nor, number two, do we have the wisdom to be in control. Think of all the variations and turns your life has taken over the years. A lot of those events seemed insignificant at the time, and yet... Some of those insignificant events turned out to be some of the most significant events that ever happened to you. You have not the ability to tell the difference between what is significant and what is insignificant in your life. Case in point, when I was a sophomore in college uh, at the end of the spring semester, I signed a lease to uh, live at an apartment complex called Burton House. Now, this seemed like an insignificant event in my life. You're just signing a lease so you can have somewhere to stay during college. Uh, What I did not know at that time was someone else signed a lease to live at that place as well. Someone in this room signed a lease that is not Tim Horn. And what I was actually doing when I was signing the lease to live at Burton House, I was actually signing my marriage certificate because Sarah lived at that same apartment complex. Uh, we actually, I actually met her because I went to Campus Crusade. And the reason I went to Campus Crusade was because I was in the Union Building, uh, was sitting there just visiting with friends. All these people come out of this room who had been in a meeting. One, I only knew one person, and this person also lived at Burton House. And so they came up and said, hello. And I was like, where have you been? And they said, well, it's Campus Crusade. And I said, oh, I need to go check that out. And so because of the Burton House connection, I went to Campus Crusade. And that's where I met Sarah. And because we lived in the same apartment complex, we often walked home together, and that's how I got to know her. So that seemed like an insignificant event that had a very profound effect on my life, thankfully. But I would never have had the wisdom to know that Choosing to live at that place would have such an effect on my life. Now, God is powerful and He is wise, and not only that, but He's good, and we can bank on that. Look at look ahead at what uh, Daniel, I mean uh, Nebuchadnezzar says a couple of verses down in verse 37. He continues to talk about how great God is, but in verse 37 he says this. Now I Nebuchadnezzar Praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just. All his works are right and his ways are just. Now what he's affirming is exactly what we affirm, we Christians affirm, when we quote Romans 8.28. That says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. See, God has a wonderful plan, and He's executing that plan. And believers who have, who have been included into His plan, who have jumped on board with His story, they know that it's all going to work out for the good, because God is good, and He's just and fair. Now, we usually use Romans 8.28 when bad things happen to us, and we, we are preaching to ourselves and telling us that, yes even though we can't see the good in it at the moment, it's going to turn out for good because God has promised and God is working a wonderful plan for this world and His people. But it also is true that the things that seem indifferent or insignificant are working for our good, for those who are called according to God's purpose. Now, how do we know He is good? I mean, the Bible tells us He's good but he has an even greater demonstration of it that the Bible tells us about. Look at what he did so that we could be included in his plan of redemption. God himself took on human flesh and he came to earth and he laid down his life. And it looked for a time as if God himself had lost control of the situation. I mean, he came to earth, uh, he was Lord over creation, he could steal the raging sea, Uh, He could walk on water. Uh, He could raise the dead. All these things demonstrated his divinity and power. But then, seemingly out of nowhere, his life is taken from him. These wicked men come along and they put him to death, framing him, an innocent man, Even the disciples themselves who spent the most time with Jesus personally, they did not understand what was going on and they thought God had lost control. You remember when Jesus had risen from the dead and uh, these disciples were walking along the road to Emmaus and they're just in dismay and they're talking and chatting along and Jesus comes alongside of them and because he's glorified they don't recognize him. And Jesus starts to speak to them. And he says, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. I mean, they're stopped like... I mean, they said, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who is a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people... And how our chief priests and rulers delivered Him up to be condemned to death and crucified Him. Here's the kicker. But we had hoped that He was the one to redeem Israel. See, They they thought it was true of what Jesus was doing. But then these events happened and they thought, well, it's all lost. He was going to redeem us and it's gone now. See, they didn't have the power to understand. They didn't have the wisdom to discern what God was doing. At that very moment. They thought Jesus had blown it. That God's plan was not going to happen. But just where they thought all had been lost, it was exactly the point where God's will comes shining through. Like us, they did not know, they did not have the power or the wisdom to know what the Lord knew and what the Lord knew that He was doing and in His wisdom had planned to do. So how do we respond to this news that God is in control of all things. Look again at the passage, Daniel 4:34. The first thing that Nebuchadnezzar does, when, he, when his reason returns to him, when he has this proper perspective on life, the first thing it says that he does, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. And, and really that's, that's the response that we're called for today. We're calling for today to lift our eyes to heaven. God has a plan. God has a story. God has sent His Son into the world to die in our place so that we could be included in that story. Lift your eyes to heaven. Turn to Him and say, Lord, I want to be a part of Your story of redemption. I want to be one of the objects of Your redemption. I want, I want to be renewed and changed. I want to be cleansed and forgiven. I want to be a part of Your family. And He says in His Word that if we call upon the name of the Lord, we will be saved. If we come to Him, He will in no way cast us out. So turn your eyes to heaven. My mom had a, a poem on her uh, wall, and uh, it was called The Weaver, and it sums up our thoughts on this and what the, what the Bible really says about it. It goes, My life is but a weaving between my Lord and me. I cannot see the colors. He works steadily. Oftentimes he weaves sorrow, and I, in foolish pride, forget he sees the upper, and I, the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttle ceases to fly, shall God unroll the canvas and explain the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. So put your trust in the Lord. He's good. He's good. And His plan will come to fruition, and He invites you to be a part of it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You that You have looked down upon us, uh, sinful people, and You have offered to us life and salvation and every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And I pray, Lord, that not one of us would leave here today not 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 committing ourselves to being part of Your plan, to have a, a perspective that this life is, is your story. Uh, it's all about you and not us. And Lord, may we bring you honor and glory in everything that we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.